Well, last week was our grand opening, and uh, we almost had a thousand people here. We were fifteen people shy from a thousand, uh, which is way more than what we thought we were going to have. And so that's exciting. We, again, we're just here to make an impact in the, in this community. But uh, last week we started a brand new series called Why Belief, and that's really a question that a lot of people have. Right? And it's a fair question. Why should I believe? Right? Why should I believe that God uh, wants me to know him? Or why should I believe that the Bible is accurate? Why should I believe the Bible at all? Or why should I believe that Jesus was God? Or how does science and Christianity fit together? Do I have to pick one and not the other? How, how does that all fit? See, those of us in this room, we, we're all at different places in our spiritual walk with God. Um, there's people in here that you haven't even started that walk with God yet. And, uh, and there's really kind of two types of people that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the first type is, I, we totally understand that there's skeptics out there. You don't quite know about this whole Christianity, Christianity thing. You're not, you know, you're just trying to figure this whole church thing, God thing out. We're glad that you're here. Um, this is a great place for you to be, especially with this series that we're going through. And, uh, and today we're going to be talking about the Bible. And for you, all right, you got a bunch of questions about the Bible, Right? You're trying, to, you're trying to figure that out. How do you know that, that we should believe the Bible? Right? And really what we're going to be talking about applies to both groups of people in two different ways, meaning skeptics and those of us who have that relationship with God. For skeptics, uh, for you guys, you need some of your intellectual objections cleared away before you, you, know, before you can receive truth in your heart. Okay? It's just how you walk. Right? And it's just, it's just the, the way that you're wired up. And so you're like, I got all these things in the way before I can put... Before I can jump all in on this God thing, you know, I got I gotta, I got some questions that need answered. And we totally get it. And so once, hopefully we get some of those questions answered today. But then others of you, you, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've been going to church all your life. You know, I don't know. And, uh, and for you, you're like, we're talking about the Bible? I, I, I already believe the Bible. I'm good with the Bible. I like the Bible. The Bible's, you know, I'm, I'm cool with the Bible. And for you, I just want to say, don't tune this message out. Okay, because you think you're good, right? We know, I mean, you should have reasons to why you believe what you believe. Okay, that's only logical sense. Actually, God tells us that in First uh, Peter uh, chapter 3. He says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. See, God's saying, hey. You as a Christian, you as a, as a God follower, you need to have a reason for why you believe what you believe. And it's not necessarily for you. You say it's for those people that are, that are in your lives around you that don't know God. Because they should be able, if you're living life right as a Christian, right, you should stand out. I'm not saying stand out in a weird way. Some Christians are really good at doing that, you know. <laughs> I'm saying you're supposed to stand out in some ways that you should be the kindest, you should be the most loving person, you know, at church or, or at work and, and in, your, in your community. All right, people should be able to see and say, wow, okay, there is something different about this person. And when they see that, they should come and ask you about it. That's what, that's what God's warning us. He's like, hey, if you're living life right, people are going to come and they're going to want to know how to get what you got. And you better have an answer ready. He's saying, if they have a question about why you believe what you believe, you better have an answer. It's important for us to believe, to have reasons for why we believe what you believe. That's what God says. And so uh, we are going to walk through this together. Now, this isn't my favorite thing to talk about because it's just so much information. There's really no way to make this fun for for any of us. Um, But... uh, (laughs) 
but you know, it's just kind of dry. But we're gonna we're gonna walk through this together. Hang with me, all right? Hopefully, um, we you know, hopefully we learn uh, some stuff today. And, and I also want to say this: fair warning, um, it is impossible to go through everything in thirty minutes or twenty-five minutes. Now. You can't do it. All right? I've literally spent you know years of my life at, in grad school trying to try, you know studying this stuff and researching this stuff, um, especially with the Bible, because the Bible is the foundation of of what we believe as Christians. It's the foundation. It's probably the most important topic that we're going to be talking about. And I cannot fit everything into 25 minutes. It's impossible. So really what I'm going to do today is we're going to, I'm going to take some things that I think are probably the most important, at least maybe the most important to me, or what helped answer questions that I had. And uh, we're going to go through, and, uh, and, and we're going to start knocking through, knocking these things out. So we have this book. All right, are you guys with me? Okay, some people over here were, but nobody else was. All right, you guys with me? Okay, all right. It's going to be tough, but stick with me. All right, we got this book, The Bible. It's written in three different languages with uh, about 40-plus different authors over a period of 1,600 years. All right, that's a long time. And the question that we have, and the question that our community around us has is, why do you believe, or why do we believe, that this book is from God? Why do you believe this book is important? This book actually has one theme throughout the book, one real story. That is God's plan to fix the problem of fallen mankind. Now we see that from the beginning all the way through the end of this book. God's plan to fix the problem, it is a problem, of fallen mankind. And if this story is real, and if this this, uh, book is actually from God, and if the story, this real story is actually from God, then we better pay attention to it. And that's only logical sense, okay? This isn't anything earth-shattering. All right, we should pay attention to it. If this is from God, we should, we should read it. It shouldn't just be sitting underneath our bed or in some drawer somewhere or on a bookshelf, right? This is important. We should spend time trying to figure out what God is trying to tell us, trying to get to know God better, and this is how we do it through this book. Only if it's real, though. But if this book or this story is fake, then who cares? Throw it away. Right? Don't spend your time, don't waste your time reading it because it doesn't matter. Sure, it might be some, some good, you know, principles in there that some guy maybe wrote, you know, in ancient history. But... You don't have to follow anything, and, and you might disagree, and that's totally fine with, with, you know, with what these guys are saying. It shouldn't matter. It's worthless to us. See, that's why the subject's so important, is because it's the foundation of what we believe, and if it's real, it means everything. If it's fake, it means nothing. It's either one or the other. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two different types of evidence. But first, we're going to look at the internal evidence. What does the Bible have to say about itself? And then we're going to look at the external evidence. Now, we're going to spend just a tiny bit of time on the internal evidence because for a lot of you, you're like, all right, I don't really care what the Bible says. Or for some of you, I don't really care what the Bible says about itself because I don't believe the Bible. All right? And so we're going to spend just a little bit of time on that. But for us as Christians, we have to get past. I mean, the Bible has to claim that it's from God. And if it doesn't, then that's a strike against it. And so we, we have to go through that. Um, <coughs> but the majority of the time, we're going to look at the external evidence. And so... Um, that's, that's kind of my plan for this morning, and, and again, we'll get through this together. All right. The first point I just want to make out is that Jesus taught that the Bible 
is true. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, this is what it says. It says, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets or the prophets. See, he's talking about the Old Testament here. He's saying, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill the opposite. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, <clears throat> not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Basically, here what Jesus is saying is that all nature will pass away before even one you know, cross of the T or dot of the I is taken away from this book. Right? What he's saying is, hey, this book, the Bible, he's like, this is here to stay. And this real story that's in this Bible He's saying that, by the way, hasn't been finished yet. It's going to be finished someday. But he's saying when this, uh, this story, he's saying this is here to stay until the story is over. That's what Jesus is telling us, how God's going to fix the problem of mankind. Actually, Paul, he actually, he talks about this too in the, in the New Testament in 2 Timothy. And this is a famous verse, and probably some of you even got this verse memorized. Maybe even when you were a kid, I don't know, Bible camp or whatever, um, people went to, but it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. All right, the Greek word here for inspired is actually breathed out. And so what Paul's saying is he's saying all scripture is, is breathed out like these words that are in here are actually God's words. Sure, a man wrote the words, God used man to write the words, but the words are from man. He's saying the words are from God. This wasn't man's idea. This was God's idea. See, the Bible claims that the, to be the very word of God. It's a personal message to us. And it's a personal story about us. And so that's the internal evidence. See, internal evidence shows that the Bible is authentic as well, um, as, as true, and that it is truth. And uh, if you don't believe, but if you don't believe the Bible, again, that's not convincing you, and that doesn't really mean much to you. And so let's look at the, uh, the external evidence. All right, the external evidence shows us the Bible is authentic and true as well. Um, how do we really know that the Bible is authentic? And when I mean that, I mean, or when I say that, I mean, how do we know that the Bible we have today, this Bible, is the same thing that was written thousands of years ago when the authors originally wrote it? How do we know? This is an important question. All right, that's really the basis of everything. I mean, let's face it. The Bible has had a long time to get off track. I mean, how many of you guys have, remember in elementary school when you used to play the game with telephone? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, where the teacher says, you know, to one student, uh, you know, something, some message or whatever, and it goes through the line, and at the end of the line, it's just something completely different. And you're just like, what? How did you get, you know, how did that happen? There's usually some kid in the middle who just messes it up on purpose. You get the idea. <laughs> All right? That's, see, how do we know that didn't happen in the Bible? Over a period of centuries, thousands, even thousands of years. Where so, how do we know that some parts aren't gone and some parts haven't been added to it? I was actually talking with a friend a, a couple weeks ago. And uh, she, was, she was asking about our church. And telling her she's not a Christian. She's not believe in God and does not believe in the Bible at all. And um, she was she was asking me, she's like, uh, she had recognized that the Bible was was good, kind of good for society or provided good things for society. Some good things came out of the Bible in our society, I guess. And uh, so she's asking, she's like, well, you know,
know, and I'm telling everybody about our church, we just believe the Bible. Um, we, you know, we're not adding anything to the Bible. We're not trying to take anything away from the Bible. We're not trying to add some weird tradition into, into the scripture because that's all man-made. You know, we're just trying to do what the Bible says. That's all we're trying to do here at Grace. And so I'm explaining that to her. And she's like, well, you can't trust the Bible. She's like, the Bible has been, re- or has been written and rewritten and written and rewritten for like hundreds and hundreds of years. And she's like, that is not the same thing as what it originally was, that people have taken the Bible throughout the, throughout the centuries and have inputted their, what they wanted it to say to, you know, to push some certain agenda that they might have. And, and they've taken some, some stuff out that they didn't like. And, and she's, she's just like, that's, you know, basically like, I can't believe you believe that stuff. And so my response to that is, okay, yeah, that makes sense that that would happen. Kind of like the game of telephone. It makes sense to me that that would happen, but that does not mean that that did happen. Does that make, does that, does that make sense? It makes sense that that would happen, but that does not mean, and that is not proof, or that is not evidence that that did happen. And so really what we got to do is we need to test the Bible's authenticity. We need to test the Bible to see if it's the same as when it was really written, or the same as today as it was when it was originally written. And so we're going to ask ourselves two questions. We're going to do this. Uh, I'm going to try to illustrate this for you. This might totally bomb. We'll see. All right? But uh, I'm going to try to illustrate for you. So there's two questions that we need to ask. Number one, with our, we'll, we'll only look at the New Testament just to simplify things. And so the first question is, um, what is the earliest copy that we have? Let me just say this. All right? We do not have any ancient document ever, you know, that was ever written. We do not have the original copy of anything. Okay? Because it's written on papyrus and paper and scrolls and all this kind of stuff that just didn't last. Right? So we, nev- we do not have, the ancient, have an ancient copy of in- any original documents. But we do have ancient copies of original documents. Does that make sense? Okay. And, and so what, we'll, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to ask two questions, which I may have already mentioned. I can't remember. Is what is the earliest copy that we have? And then how many of those copies do we have? Right? So let's, let's repeat after me. All right? Let's do this together. All right? Because it helps us understand this. All right? How many, what's the earliest copy we have? All right? Ready, set. What's the earliest copy that we have? Okay, that's important. And then I know this isn't correct English, but just roll with me here. Um, how many we got? How many we got? Okay, all right. Those are two very important questions. And so what we're going to do is we're going to compare um, these these, the New Testament to other ancient writings, and we're gonna make we're gonna make a timeline, all right? So let's pretend like the center aisle is a timeline, and the stage right here, I'm the original writer writing the original document, okay? And uh, and so each the farther away from the stage we get, the uh, the farther away from the original document we get, and so each row we'll say represents 200 years, okay? So we got that two, four, six. I'm not good with math, so sometimes i got to review that myself. And so what we're going to do is we'll test the New Testament compared to other ancient documents that um, archaeologists and historians uh, would believe that are completely true. So the first one we're going to compare to is Aristotle. Right? Aristotle wrote the Organon in uh, 340 B.C., I believe. And uh, the earliest copy that we have... The earliest copy, it was written in 1100 AD. 
Right? So if you do the math, that's 1,440 years after the original was written, we have the, we have the earliest copy that we have. Okay? And we have five of those copies. Okay? This is what archaeologists and historians have found. And so AJ is going to hold that back right, actually right about here, AJ. All right, 1,440 years. So you're right past the last row, seven rows. All right? So that's, uh, we got five copies written 1,440 years after the original. Now let's look at Julius Caesar. All right, Julius Caesar wrote the history of the Gallic Wars. Never read it. I'm sure it's great. All right? At 50 BC. I don't plan on reading it either. Um, it was written in 50 BC, so 50 years roughly before Jesus was born. And uh, the earliest copy that we have is written in 100, or sorry, 1,000 A.D. And so that's 1,050 years after the original. And we have nine copies of those. So if you would, all right, one, two, three, four, five. Would you mind holding this? Julius Caesar's, those are nine copies right there. And, uh, and we have nine, nine of those copies. It's great. You don't have to hold them up the whole time because you know it's going to get time. This is going to take a while. All right? Next, we have Homer's The Iliad. Is there anybody in here that's read The Iliad? Okay, we got some. Right? That's like super old. I'm sure it must be really good. Because um, it was written in 800 BC. So it's a long time ago, and it's still around. All right? The earliest copy of The Iliad that we have was written in 250 AD. Right? So that's, again, same numbers, 1,050 years after the original was written. That's the earliest copy that we got. But instead of nine copies, like uh, Julius Caesar's work, we have 650 copies within that time frame. And so if, actually this is really heavy, so I'm just going to lay this down. So 600, you can see this, 650 copies of the Iliad written 1,050 years after the original. Now let me just say this. There is no um, historian or archaeologist that questions the authentic authenticity of these, uh, these writings. Nobody does. Everybody assumes, oh, of course, they're right. They agree with each other, so they are good. And so the question is, how does the New Testament compare to these three well-known ancient writings? Now, in AD 90, the New Testament, or 90 AD, the New Testament was fully written. All 27 books, they're all written. It's all good to go. It's being copied. It's being shared, right? 900 years after the original, which, is, by the way, is a good century before, um, before Homer's work, right? A good century before. Uh, we have over 5,000 copies of the New Testament. 900 years, right? So that was stacked about right here before Homer. All right, it's 100 years newer than the, than the 650 copies of Homer. By the way, Homer is 70 times more authentic when you do the authenticity rating than Julius Caesar's work or Aristotle that nobody, nobody disputes. 70 times more. And then we got the New Testament with 5,000 and also a century, a whole hundred years earlier. But that's not all. 300 years after the original, we have two complete copies of the New Testament. All right, two complete copies. So if you would, if you could hold these for me. We got two complete copies of the New Testament right here on the second row. All right? 200 years after the original, we do not have any complete copies of the New Testament. But we do have some books. 
We have John, Luke, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude right here on the first row. So if you would, one of you guys would, if you would hold on to these, all right? Those are the copies we have right on the first row, 200 years after the original was written. Now, the earliest fragment of the Bible that we have is actually a fragment of John 18, right? So it's just a piece of it. And uh, AJ, you can come grab these if you want. But uh, John 18 was written less than 100 years after the original. This copy, this fragment of this copy that we have found, less than 100 years after the original, just a few decades. And guess what? That piece of John 18 that they found and dated, that is the exact same as the John 18 in your Bible today. It's the same. And so looking at this, it is clear, <clears throat> it is clear that the, uh, that the Bible is way more authentic than Homer's the Iliad or Julius Caesar or Aristotle. Way more authentic. Actually, it doesn't, I mean, common sense would say, it doesn't even compare. And what's crazy about it is we're still finding them. We're still finding pieces. Right, because we're still unearthing stuff. Actually, a lot of you guys have probably heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. All right, that, that was found in the 40s and 50s. Huge archaeological discovery. And, um, you know, that's where in the 40s some kid was, like, throwing rocks, which is what all kids do. And uh, they threw a rock into a cave, heard some broken jars, heard some jars break. They lowered it down and went to investigate these caves that are cut on cliffs and uh, found, like, a bunch of um, ancient documents. And so in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we find the complete Old Testament, except for the book of Esther for some reason. I don't know what that's all about. But you have the complete Old Testament there, except for Esther. And... Um, and that the, what they found is that they are the same as what we have today. And those were written in 200 B.C., 200 years before Jesus was here on the earth, right? And a lot of them were multiple copies of books. So we have, in that discovery, they found 19 copies of Isaiah. They found 30 copies of the book of Psalms, all sitting there for all this time. And it's the same as what we have today. See, the Bible is authentic, and it's the same Bible as when it was written. It's the same Bible today as when it was originally written thousands of years ago. But think, if you think about it, that does not mean that the Bible is historically accurate. It doesn't mean that when the, when the writer was writing about it, he was right. And so let's say this. Let's say a witness crime take place at the uh, Tiffin Theater, okay? And the theater here in Tiffin. And... Um, I get called in, you know, for the, you know, as a witness um, at court. So I get called in, and I go there, and, and the lawyer's like, Mr. Pinkerton, you know, tell me what you saw on, uh, on that night. And so you know, I start giving some details. I'm like, well, um, it was May 19th, uh, 2017, or sorry, 2019. I'm a little backdated, but uh, 2019, and... Uh, and let's say, you know, I went to go see the Avengers, the new Avengers movie, and um, at the 9.30 showing, and I went and I bought some Whoppers, because you got to have Whoppers when you're watching a movie, and then after the movie, I came out and I witnessed this crime. Okay, what any lawyer is going to do is they're going to start looking at my details. They're going to say, number one, was the Avengers playing that night? Number two, was there a 9.30 showing? Because if there's not a 9.30 showing, then we're going to, they'll toss out my, my testimony. I mean, what if the theater didn't sell Whoppers? And I said that I bought Whoppers. 
right? They're not going to, you know, everything that I'm saying is just going to be completely thrown out and discredited. It's really the same thing that we see with the Bible. See, when these guys, these writers are writing, and let's go back to the New Testament. When these guys are writing the New Testament, they're writing as witnesses. They're saying, hey, this is what happened. See, I feel like a lot of times we, uh, I feel like a lot of times we feel like, you know, the way we picture how the Bible was written is actually um, as, you know, you got a guy, he's sitting there, he's like super flashy robe, and he's in some castle somewhere, and he's some saint, you know, and he's pinning down this like elegant scripture, you know, to candlelight. You know, we, we, that's how we think of it. That's not how it happened, okay? These guys are just normal dudes, all right? That's the honest truth. I mean, some of these guys were fishermen. Some of these, uh, Luke was a doctor. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector, and they, they all hated tax collectors. You got all these different guys and all these different walks of life that came together and, uh, and made this happen. And really got, basically God used to make this happen. And these guys are super detailed. And it would not have taken long for anybody to, uh, in that time period, to discredit anything that they had to say. It, it, they could have looked at these guys' writings and their details and been like, well, that's not right. Well, that place doesn't exist. You didn't go there that day. Right? That, that, that didn't happen. Jesus never said that, or Jesus never did that, or Jesus never went to that town. But that didn't happen. You don't have anybody discrediting anything. Actually, uh, that we see in history. Actually, we see that the New Testament is super detailed. All right, Luke, he refers to a total of 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine different islands. Super detailed. If any one of those didn't exist, he just needed one of those to not exist or, or to not be right. For anybody in that century or in that time period to go point to him and say, this is not true because of this little thing. That didn't happen. Not to mention that history tells us that almost all the New Testament writers ended up dying for what they believed. All the, almost all the New Testament writers went to the grave saying, hey, this stuff happened. I'm just telling you what happened. This is real. This story that he's given us is real. So the Bible is authentic. The Bible's historically true. It's historically accurate, we see. Nothing's been disproven ever. <clears throat> the real question is, how do we know it's from God? How do we know that these words are actually from God? We know that a bunch of men wrote it, and just because someone thinks it's from God, that doesn't make it from God. See, in the Old Testament, it's interesting that God, he actually gives the Israelites a way to decipher between a true prophet and a false prophet. So check this out in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He says, you may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? See, this is what God would do. God, in the, in the Old Testament time with Israel, he would speak to his people through prophets, okay? And a prophet, you know, I don't know what you have in your mind of what a prophet is, but a prophet is just a messenger from God. That's it. All right, so basically, God would go to this guy and say, hey, I want you to tell them this. And the guy would say, okay, got it. I'll go over here. Hey, guys, God says this. Does that make sense? That's literally what happened. Uh, you know, a little more stuff in there, but... Uh, but the prophet's just a messenger. And so the Israelites are like, all right, God, you talk to us through prophets. That's totally cool. Um, how do we know that the prophet is actually from you? Because think about it. Anybody can say, oh, by the way, I'm a prophet, and God wants you to do this. So you go do this. They can just make it up. They can just lie. Anybody can do that. And so God, he answers that. He says, when a prophet speaks, this is how you know. 
He says, when a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or it is not fulfilled, he says, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. Basically, what he's saying is he's saying, look at what they say. If it doesn't happen, don't believe it. If it happens, say it's from you. Because that's what prophets did. They prophesied. They would tell people about what would happen in the future. And a lot of times, God used this to, to prove to people that this God was actually from God. So the prophet would say, hey, this is about to happen. And so when it happens, then you know. But if it didn't happen, then God's like, don't listen to that guy. All right, That guy's not from me. And I feel like this is a logical line of reasoning that makes sense, right? That we can actually apply to the Bible. Now, we don't have time to go through all the prophecies of the Bible. That would be crazy and ridiculous. But if we look at the Old Testament, we see that Old Testament is 39 books. Um, it was written over a period of 1,100 years. Um, and the last book of the Old Testament was actually written 400 years before Jesus was born. Okay, so there's a 400-year time gap. That's a long time. And it has many different authors, and the authors of the Old Testament, they're living in different generations and really kind of different parts of the world, and they didn't know one guy, you know, they didn't know each other, uh, they didn't know what the guy in the future was going to write, some of them, they didn't know what the guy in the, in the, you know, behind them wrote. And you know what these guys did? As prophets, they made predictions about this coming Savior that they called the Messiah. And so they made predictions like he'd ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, or he'd be betrayed by a friend, or he'd be born in the town of Bethlehem, or he'd be called out of Egypt, or he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver, or he'd be put to death. And all in all, the, New, the Old Testament writers, they made over 300 predictions. And the last one, again, was written, was predicted 400 years before Jesus showed up. And we see in the New Testament, we fast forward to the New Testament, we see that Jesus, he fulfilled all 300. And the probability of that happening is basically impossible. And so some people, you might be thinking, well, well, God, and Jesus, he just knew the Old Testament really well, and so he just made these things happen. And this, but some of these things, you can't, he, Jesus has no control over in a sense. You know, if he was fully dead, he has no control over where he's born, right? You're stuck with that, right? And so... And so some, you know, he, he fulfilled all of these. There's actually this guy named um, Peter Stoner, and uh, he was an expert in probability, okay? And he, a few years ago, he, with 600 college students, started, they wanted to know the probability of Jesus fulfilling only eight of the 300 prophecies that were written, that was written about him in the Old Testament. And so they did the math, and I am terrible at math, so I have no idea how they did this, but... They're experts, so they did it. So they did the math, and they said it's 1 out of 10 to the 17th power. That's the chances of this happening. 1 out of 10 to the 17th power. That's 1 out of a 1 with 17 zeros behind it. Chance of Jesus fulfilling 8 of the 300 prophecies. I mean, that's like, that's the same probability of the Browns winning the Super Bowl this year. It's not going to happen. Right? Actually, I did the math. It would be the same probability as the Browns winning the Super Bowl this year and the next 18 years in a row. Okay? I mean, it's impossible. It, 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 you know, it, it's not going to happen. But Jesus did it. That's only with 8 out of the 300. See, God has made his presence abundantly clear. And he has made his word 
meaning the Bible, unbelievably true. He's given this, us this story that is true. And he had these guys make predictions. God told him what was going to happen, and then those came true. And actually, Jesus, he's fulfilling the predictions of the Old Testament, and that's kind of what he's talking about back in Matthew 5, which is what we started with at the beginning of the message. He's saying, actually, in the next verse, he says something super odd. So first he's saying, hey, the Bible's here to stay. Right? The Bible is here, and it's not going anywhere until this real story is done. And then he says something odd. He says this. It's kind of different. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, he's saying you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Right, you got to understand what's going on here, okay? The scribes and Pharisees, I mean, these guys are like the top religious people ever. Uh, these guys, they, they have books of the Old Testament memorized. I had no chance I could ever do that. He had the books of the Old Testament memorized. They were experts on the Old Testament law or these rules that God gave the Israelite people so that they would be, so that they would be a little bit different than the, all the nations around them and help them keep them closer to God. And so actually these guys, they took a lot of the rules that, that God had given them in the Old Testament and they made rules about the rules because they were all about the rules. These guys were, they made rules and they were rule followers. And so they would make a rule for themselves. Oh, we can't work on Saturday on the Sabbath. Well, we can't even like pick up a pencil on the Sabbath because, you know, we, we don't even want to come close to maybe even breaking God's rules. So we're going to make a rule so we don't break God's rules. Get what I'm saying? I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, these guys were the top religious people. And so when Jesus, he's telling this to this crowd of people, he's saying, by the way, um, the Bible's here to stay. And let me just say this, if you're not as righteous as the scribes and Pharisees, he's saying, yeah, you have no chance to even have All the people are probably sitting there going, I don't have a chance. Like, I blew it already. You know, they're, they're just like, what? And then Jesus it's almost like to make matters even worse for them or to get them to actually clearly see. All right? Jesus is like, actually, he says this in the next verse. He says, actually, you've heard. Because all these, the, these people that are, they're all Jewish people and they're, you know, they're out on the street Jesus is having this conversation. And they're like, they're like, okay, I'm not as good as scribes and Pharisees, but what I do know is that I'm a pretty good person. I've kept some of the rules that God's given us, like the Ten Commandments. Like, I've done pretty good with those. And then Jesus Throws him down. He says, have you, he says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors in the Bible, what we have, he says, do not murder. Every one of us in this room, hopefully we're like, all right, that's a good one. Okay, we're good with that. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. All right, that's good. Then he says, but I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool be subject to hellfire. See, what he's saying is, he's saying, hey, none of us have actually kept the rule. He's like, sure, you think you've kept the rule, do not murder. But he's like, yeah, you think you're good with that? But actually, it's the same sin. Sin is a lot deeper. He's God saying, hey, my standard's way up here. He's like, maybe you've kept that rule, that's great. But actually, it's the same root sin if you just hate somebody just for, just for like a couple minutes because they did something that you didn't like. He's like, the same root sin in your heart. He's saying it's the same thing. He's like, I consider that sin just as much. 
See, God looks not just at the outside. God looks at the inside. And that is not good for us. Right? That's a problem for us. Because he knows every negative thought that we've ever even thought. It's really, that's why he sends us this story. This real, true story. That's why he sent it to us. It's because he's trying to get us to realize. He's saying, hey, you are more messed up than you think. Sure, you might not have murdered somebody, but if you just hate somebody just for a second, he's like, sin. Wake up with a bad attitude, sin. You know, he's like, there's so much little things that we think, ah, that's not a big deal. He's like, no, that's sin. That's wrong. That's what this book tells us. And so he's saying, and that's what this story is about. He's like, the story is about how I'm going to fix the problem from the beginning to the end. He's like, there is a problem, and I am here to fix it. How God's going to fix our mess. And so that we, we know, we're able to know, God's given us evidence that the story that he's given us is authentic. It has not changed. It's historically accurate. We also know this from God. He gave this to us. It's crazy because the story ends up being about him coming to save us. I don't know where everybody's at in this room. I don't know where you're at with, with believing the Bible is true or maybe you think it's a bunch of fake stories that are just thrown in there. I don't know what you believe. I don't know, maybe you believe the Bible is you. You know, you just haven't really thought about why you believe. I don't know where you're at. We're all in different places, like I said at the beginning, in our, in our spiritual walk with God. And some of us, we haven't started that today. But this book tells us that we are so messed up. And we have so many problems that none of us are perfect. This book tells us that God knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. This book tells us that God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. And this is the way we get to know him, is by reading his message to us. See, he's given us his word so that we can know him. And he's given us so much evidence, more than we could ever go through in 30 minutes, about why we can believe that this book is his words. The Bible tells us that because we messed up and because we're all filled with sin and we're all messed up people, including myself, that uh, God's plan was to come fix it, and he did, and Jesus came down, and God came down and was born in the dirt, born in a barn, lived a perfect life, and we ended up putting him to death. But even more than that, it's saying that God poured out his wrath that, he, that we deserve on himself. He didn't have to. He did that. And, and the reason why he did that is because God is perfectly just and he's perfectly holy, meaning that every time we do something wrong, it has to be paid for because we sin against an infinite, holy, perfect God. It has to be paid for. Otherwise, he wouldn't be perfectly just. Otherwise, he wouldn't be perfectly holy. It has to be paid for. But God paid for it himself, and that cost him something. A lot of times we just kind of brush that off. No, that cost him something. But he did it because he loves us. That's the story. 
It's kind of a new deal now. He's saying, hey, I want that relationship with you. I already know you. I already want that relationship with you. I want you to know me. And for all of us, again, a relationship's two-way street. We got to choose them. They got, you know, we got to choose God. God's got to choose us. God's already chosen us. And so he's saying, hey, you want that relationship with me? I want it. All you have to do is simply, this is what the book tells us, you just got to ask him in. You just got to ask for it. You just got to talk to him, spend some time with him, say, hey, God, I'm tired of doing life on my own. Um, you know, life's getting rough. I, I need your help. I want you in my life. We've got to hand our life over to him, which, again, is like the hardest thing because we like control of our own life. We don't like the idea of somebody else having control. We don't like the idea of doing something God's way. We want to do it our way. God said, all we have to do is ask. We just got to invite him in. We just got to give our life over to him. Not some special amount of words. It's silently in your head, even. God knows your every thought.